Please turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. We're, look, we're looking at these uh, few verses here from verses 17, God willing, to down to verse 24. And my subject for this morning is the old man, the new man. Well, we've been looking over the last few weeks at this book of Ephesians, and especially in chapter 4, about the practical side. We saw the last couple of weeks how Christians should live in the church and how they should behave in the church, what they should be concerned about in the church, the unity of the Spirit, and how they should carry themselves amongst the brethren in lowliness, and also how last week we looked at how each one, each believer, has been given a gift. I'm not thinking here about, about the prophetic gifts, but we're thinking about gifts in, in, in other ways. Maybe teaching, it may be helps, and maybe some other kind of gift uh, that each one of us have, and that's to be used not for ourselves, but to be used for the church and for the Lord's uh, work. Well, today we move on uh, to another, this other section where now here Paul says, uh, I want you to walk not as other Gentiles walk. You have to live in a different way now that you are Christians. And he's thinking here still about how we are to live in the church, but also how we are to walk uh, amongst the world. And the first thing, friends, I want to say here is that there should be a marked difference between the believer and the unbeliever. This is what this verse is telling us. There should be a, a great difference, recognizable when you look at somebody and you look at their life, you should be able to detect this person is a believer or an unbeliever. In, uh, in the world, well, we have many different nationalities, we have many different languages, people from all over the place, but we could really spiritually categorize people into two categories, the believer and the unbeliever. And if you're looking at it in that way, which one do I belong to? Which one does that person belong to? And how can you tell which one a person belongs to? Well, Paul says you'll be able to tell by their life. When you look at their life, just like the Lord said, how will you know prophets, false prophets, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their life. So also, how do you know a true believer, one who really loves the Lord, and one who is just has no concern for God at all? Well, you will see it in their life. A true believer, well, they have a desire to do God's will. They want to please the Lord. This is the motive of their life. The primary thing in them is to please the Lord, to glorify Him. They've realized before life was all about self, before life was all about me, but now, since they've been converted, it's all about God and how I can please Him. Before, how can I glorify my kingdom, myself? Now, how can I glorify God and uh, bring honor to His name? And then you will see in a, a believer one who's been changed as a concern for holiness and for purity in life, a desire 
not only to be saved, but to be holy, really holy, to be changed. A person who is unhappy, you'll see them, they're unhappy, they're complaining, not so much that they haven't got enough money, although that may be a, a problem for them, but they don't complain so much about earthly things. If you really met them and maybe talked to them, they would complain about well, the, the struggles that they're having in holiness and wanting to advance in holiness. This is their, uh, their concern. They want to be more gracious people, and they're battling. There's a battle going on uh, in these people, and this is, uh, this is how you can tell a person who is a true believer. But if, on the other hand, friends, if these marks of a believer are missing, then uh, and, and a person finds the world more attractive if a person is more concerned about their kingdom than the kingdom of Christ. Something's wrong. It's a sign, friends, to us that perhaps I should check my life. Where am I spiritually? Perhaps I'm backsliding or have backslidden and don't realize it. Or perhaps I'm not really there as a believer as yet. So don't be offended when we say these things, friends. They're there to help us to check. Uh, so many of us, we made a profession for so, ma- for so long and we thought everything was good. But we realized when the, the word of God really came to us and we examined ourselves, we realized we were not there and sought and had to seek and find the Lord again. So examination of ourselves, don't, don't shy away from that. Don't overdo it, but don't shy away uh, from examining where we really stand. And so here Paul puts this sentence in an emphatic way. He says here in verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord. He's using his apostolic authority. Remember in in the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, he said, he used another word, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. He was urging the believers uh, to walk worthy of their high calling. Here he goes a little bit further. He's insisting, using the authority of the Lord, uh, that they walk in a different way. And he's more or less saying, I insist that you pay attention to sanctification. I insist that you now as believers, in the name of the Lord, this must be a concern for you. This must be a priority for you. Sanctification is not an option, friends. As a believer, I cannot say I take it or I leave it. It's up to me. I can neglect it. The Lord looks for this. After he saves us, that's his will for us, to save us from our sins. And sanctification is that ongoing process where the Lord is saving us from those sins and actually uh, making us uh, holy. We we, We must, as believers, pay attention very much to uh, sanctification. You know, there are groups, if you're ever on the streets or in the, in the office, you may have come across this, people who accuse believers of abusing grace. And they say, to, oh, we tell them the gospel. Gospel is God will forgive you. Come to him. He will freely forgive you. Confess your sin. Repent of it. Trust in Christ. He will pardon you freely. And they say, oh, if that's the case, then, well, you can do whatever you like, and God will always forgive you. That's what the accusation is uh, against us, but it's not true, friends. The the real thing is, if we are believers, we come to the Lord, then there is a concern for holiness. 
There is a concern uh, for, for the Lord. We don't want uh, to displease Him. We want to be holy after uh, we have believed. We do not believe in cheap grace, in just use, mis, uh, misusing and abusing grace as they suggest. But here Paul says, uh, henceforth, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. From uh, you, here you were going along in your sins, here in your unconverted state, and then at a certain point, at this particular juncture, things changed for you when you heard the gospel. And from that point onwards, now you must live for Christ. Now you must walk in a different way to what used to uh, be like before your conversion. That's, that's important for us, uh, uh, important for us as well uh, to pick up. Paul is here re- sort of taking them back to their conversion day and say, and say that what you were like before and at a certain point things change, now no longer live as you used to do as an unbeliever. Sanctification, friends, must follow conversion, not precede it. Some people get it wrong when they are seeking Christ and they're seeking salvation. Often people will think, well, I must do up myself. I must change myself. I must be holy first and then I will come to God. I must clean up my act, as it were, and then I will come to God and then God will receive me because I'm now a good person. I'm now a, a holy person. No, friends. That's what other religions say. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, come to God as you are. Yes, you are repentant. Yes, you let go of your sins. Yes, you're not going to hold on to your sins anymore. But you say, Lord, I come to you just as I am. Lord, forgive me my sins. Change me. Transform me. Give me a new heart. And that's what he does. And from that moment on is when we start living, uh, paying attention Uh, to uh, holiness. Only after conversion, the renewing process uh, begins in the believer's life. It's different from the world. We could put it like this as an example. Imagine there's a a run-down house, a dilapidated, derelict house, and uh, the skirting boards, the wooden skirting boards are all rotting, and maybe, you know, there's damp in in the place, almost all the tiles on the roof are off, are off and fallen off. The subsidence, it's in a terrible state. Who would want to buy such a property? And yet here comes along a person uh, and he buys the property outright, you know, in its bad condition. And he, he pays for it in full. It now belongs to him. And then he begins to renovate it. And then he begins to make it new. Then he begins to fix all the the problems and and to decorate it and make it look nice and make it look beautiful. And in a sense, that's what Christ does for us. He first purchases us. He first converts us. And after he has done that, then the process of of renewing and making us different uh, begins. So uh, that's that's what we're thinking of uh, here. And one more thing concerning this word, henceforth. Here Paul says, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. From now on, as a believer, now that you've been converted, don't walk as you used to do before. Don't live like you used to do before. Till when, Lord? For how long? 
until the Lord comes or until the day of you die and you go to meet the Lord. Only then. So every day till that point, one, until one of those points are reached, we are to live uh, for, for Christ. No longer, Paul is very emphatic, uh, live, to live in that way. The fight, friends, only comes to an end when we are changed, when we see the Savior. And we're given those new and glorious bodies which, with, with, without any sin. Only then will we be free from sin when our bodies are changed uh, completely. Only then can we say uh, we are fully sanctified when we are in glory. But till then, it's a battle. Till then, there's a fight. And so Paul here, firstly, he's encouraging. He's going to speak in general terms initially. And then verse 25 onwards, he moves into more of the specifics. But here he first makes a comparison uh, or reminds, uh, gives a description of the unconverted person and a description that still holds good, really, even for uh, today. First thing he says about the Gentiles, the unbelievers, is that they walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, the way we use the word vanity today is uh, somewhat different. We think of a person who likes to look in the, the mirror and admire themselves, a person who is obsessed, maybe, with their appearance. We, th we think of them, oh, it's a very, he's a very vain person. It's men and women these days it's not just the women and but here it really has a different meaning here the meaning is futile empty so the the, the unbeliever who walks in the the emptiness of their mind the unbeliever he sets his mind on things which are futile and empty material things riches maybe and admiration from uh, other people or oh, friends these are really empty, especially when we weigh them up alongside uh, the day of judgment. What will these things matter? What will these things count for nothing on the day of judgment? A, a person, how rich a person is, or whether they were a king even, or a queen, or how much they'd uh, achieved in life. Often, as this, this also suggests that they are chasing uh, shadows. The world promises so much to them. And they are seduced by the world, but they find often that the world says, follow me, do this, I promise you this and this and this. And they are taken in. But at the end of the day, they realize, oh, their hopes are dashed. And there is great disappointment because the world doesn't keep uh, its promises. Oh, friends, we can do without material things. Uh, uh, when we think about our spiritual standing, we shouldn't make these our priority. That's what uh, the, the people, the unconverted person does. He treasures these things above forgiveness, treasures material things above peace with God, above a personal contact uh, with the Savior. Oh, friends, this is what we were like, isn't it, before? Prayer. We thought so little of prayer and uh, when we compared it uh, with material things. We wanted the must-haves in life material things, the material possessions, but we devalued prayer and peace with God. Verse 18, another feature, they have the understanding darkened, that is an inability to see things clearly and distinctly. Spiritual things is in mind here, not so much earthly things. Yes, the unconverted person 
is does have understanding about life. They understand maybe how to run a business very well. They can understand maybe about the ins and outs of uh, politics. There are many complex things in our world. Science baffles me, but maybe that person can see it very clearly. Yeah, the, the scientist, the professor can see his subject, his topic very clearly. But we're not talking about uh, earthly things here. It's spiritual things. Their understanding about spiritual things is darkened. They fail to grasp the value and the worth of spiritual things. How can they look at the world? They see creation. They see the, the nature's beauty. What a wonderful world they say we live in. Uh, they see the order even and the complexity that is in this world, but they don't see God. They don't see the creator who made it. They don't see his wisdom. They don't see uh, his, his power. They fail to see and understand who is behind it, that it's a great designer, it's him. They, you explain to this person the cross, and well, they can grasp to a measure what you're saying. They don't misunderstand it in terms of what's happened and why it happened, but they, they cannot perceive the value of it. They cannot perceive how important it is for them and that they have a great need uh, for the Savior and what he did on that cross. Their hearts, are, their understanding is darkened. And then we read also verse uh, 18, uh, having the understanding darkened, being alienated, from the life of God. They are separated. They are estranged from contact with God. They have no contact, no communion with God, no connection with God. Why? Why is it so? It goes on to tell us. Because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know certain things. They are born as a result of the fall. They are born lacking Important information, lacking spiritual information. The fall, has, the fall of Adam has affected us all so that we come into this world missing vital information that we need. That we have an immortal soul, we don't know that. That, we, that there is a God who is a personal God and a God who calls people into a personal relationship with himself. They don't know that. They don't know that this life, this Christian life, is the best life that one can have this side of heaven. They don't realize that. They don't know that God has a real interest in them. He is concerned for them and for their well-being. They think the other way around. They think that God is a God uh, who, who, who is out to take away their happiness instead of give them happiness. So they run from him. If only they knew. If only they knew, they would run to him that he cares for them. They don't know the love of Christ. They don't know their sins will take them to hell. They don't, uh, they don't know that there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. They seem unaware of these things. Oh, friends, does that mean then, because they're born in such a way and without this knowledge, does that mean that they are without ex excuse? Does that mean they can say, well, it's not my fault then, I'm born this way. Well, Paul goes on to say, because of the blindness of their heart. And the word there, many commentators say, would be better translated, a hardness. Because of the hardness of their heart. And it suggests that there is a deliberate hardening of the heart 
of the unconverted person. He doesn't want to see, it seems to say. He rejects the gospel. He's not born totally ignorant because God has given to us a sense of his presence. God has given to us a knowledge in our minds, in our hearts. There is an eternity. Life in this world is not the end. There is a day of judgment, a day of accountability. These things are there. But what he does is he pushes them to one side. He says, don't, I don't want to be reminded of these things. He doesn't follow up on those inner impulses that are given to him by the Lord. And he allows other things to come in to take precedence over him. So he, he pushes it to one side as a deliberate almost suppressing of this innate things which God has put within him. And so because he does that and he gives way to his sin more and more, well, that, uh, that sense of God uh, diminishes. And because that person chooses a sin over the Lord, well, uh, his heart tends to, to harden over time, the more a person does it. So if you look at a youngster, for example, their heart, we could say in a sense, is, is somewhat softer, more responsive to these things. But if that person, as he grows older, keeps resisting the calls of the Lord and the calls of conscience, his heart becomes harder, like a stone, without feeling. That's what he goes on to say, verse 19, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The unbeliever gives himself a license to sin. Friends, the more I keep overriding my conscience as an unbeliever, the more I move to this point of being past feeling. What does it mean to be past feeling? It means uh, to be insensible. The word suggests to be insensible any longer to pain. Before, if I did something wrong, my conscience troubled me. I felt pain in my conscience. You shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. Don't do that. If I told a lie, conscience said you shouldn't tell a lie. If I did something else wrong, conscience pained me. But the more I override my conscience, the more I suppress my conscience and refuse to listen to it, it stops speaking. It stops nudging me. It stops troubling me. And then I become insensitive to that pain. And that's the idea here, the conscience pain. I am no longer sensitive to sin and its approaches. You could say, I've cancelled my conscience. Cancelled as we use it today, in today's culture. I've cancelled my conscience. I've ostracized it. I've boycotted it. I'm not going to allow it to, to speak anymore. I've zipped it. I've, I've shunned it. I've robbed it of its voice. So now I can live as I like. It no longer troubles me. And I can do whatever I choose. And so I give myself, as Paul says here, a license, uh, lascivious, give themselves over unto lasciviousness. I give myself a license to do all kinds of impure things, whatever I like, because my conscience no longer troubles me. A license to sin? You have a UK license? Well, you could drive, you have the freedom to drive anywhere in this country. You have a foreign license, you cannot, unless it's international. But UK license, well, you can drive anywhere you want. No one will stop you, police won't stop you and uh, criminalize you uh, because of that. And same here with uh, peoples uh, who have overridden their conscience, who've lost that 
pain in their conscience. Well, they feel they have a freedom to give themselves to engage in all uncleanness, all kinds of sexual sins. And we see that, friends, isn't it, in our Western society, especially uh, today. And then with greediness, Paul says, again and again, always wanting more. But then verse 20, uh, but, but for you as believers, it's different. You have not so learned Christ. And so better things are expected of you. That's how you used to live. That's how I used to live as a believer. But now I'm a believer, things must be different. This verse is put in a quite an unusual way, actually. But ye have not so learned Christ. Usually, you learn a topic, isn't it? You go to school, you learn a topic. Uh, you learn about geography, or you learn about maths, or you learn a subject. But here, you're learning a person. You're learning Christ. You have not so learned Christ. Becoming a Christian, friends, is not adopting a new set of moral codes. It's not saying, I used to follow such and such a code or such and such a religion, and now I want to be a Christian, and I'm going to follow Christ's teachings and Christ's ways. I'm going to try my best to keep the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to go to church every day or every Sunday, whatever. And that's not, uh, that's not what, what, what's happening here. That's not what it is to be a Christian. It is, yes, following Christ. It is keeping his word. But it's more than that. To be, to be a Christian is to receive Christ himself personally. It's to re receive the person of Christ. Becoming a, a, a Christian, friends, is not just accepting a set of moral codes. It's accept, accepting Jesus. It's receiving Christ into my heart and loving him and uh, uh, taking him to be my personal savior and to be my Lord of, of my life. It's a contact with a, with a person, not just a set of codes, not just a set of rules. That's what Paul is getting at here. And he goes on to say, verse 21, if so be you've, you, that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If you've heard him truly, how does he speak? Through the gospel, through the preaching, through his word. So the gospel goes out, the gospel is preached, but you've gone beyond the preacher and you've heard Christ speaking to you. You've heard him uh, communicating, as it were, with you. Yes, the instrument is the preacher, but you felt as if it's Christ himself who is speaking to you and dealing with you in a personal way, calling, calling you to himself. Come and believe in me, he says. He points out your sin and calls you to repentance. Put away these things. He offers you forgiveness and eternal life. You hear his voice through the preaching and you feel an inner impulse, an inner compulsion uh, to respond uh, to this call. This is this is conversion, friends, hearing Christ and responding to him, coming to him. Have you heard? Have you heard his voice, friends? Have you learned Christ? If you truly have, then there will be a mark, this marked distinction between you and your former life. Well, then he goes on to give the, these instructions, verse uh, 24, verse 22, rather, that ye put off 
concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Uh, <coughs> here is work for us to do, friends, as believers, to put off uh, the old man and to put on uh, the new. It's a daily work for the believer to do. Every day I must put off the old man and put on the new. The old man, the old nature it speaks of, the old life, uh, the old uh, sinful nature, the indwelling sin that is still uh, within us. And that sinful nature, which here Paul says is corrupt, it's uh, disintegrating, it's decaying. And when, where its lusts are given into, it becomes even more uh, corrupt. Put it off, Paul says. Uh, that was the former lifestyle. That's the only way to deal with it. Put it off, cast it away. Have nothing to do with it. It's been likened, uh, this old man, to a soiled garment. Because that's the picture here, isn't it? Putting off, uh, undressing, and then putting on, dressing yourself, with the, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And here, this old man is it's like a soiled, dirty, filthy garment. Perhaps here's a person, he's just worn this one garment all the years of his life. He's not a young man, he's an old man. He's never bathed in his life, but he's been wearing the same suit for years and years. Everywhere you go, you see him, he's wearing the same thing. But you can imagine what he's like. His, the suit is all dirty and torn and tattered, and, it's, uh, and it's, uh, it stinks because he's not bathed for so long, and it permanently stinks and permanently stained. But what's the thing to do for that man? Throw away that new suit, old suit, and get a new one. And that's what we have to do, friends, with the old man. Throw it away as we put it away once and for all. We do that at conversion, but then every day after that, we, we must do it again and again. Uh, put on, throw away the old and put on the new. So that, what does that look like? It may be, it means that in my daily life I have to put off anger, or put off jealousy and jealous thoughts, uh, put off bickering, or put off a proud uh, disposition. Those sins that dominated me in my pre-conversion days our friends, they're still there to a certain degree. The power of it has been broken when you came to Christ, but they're still residual in us. And if we're not careful, if we don't make an effort to put these things, sins away, they will come back. They will, they, their aim is to regain dominance over you. And if you allow them to by just doing nothing about those sins, they will. You'll find your old sins troubling you again, and becoming stronger and stronger. So there must be this continual uh, putting off with that filthy garment, that example. Well, that can be thrown away once and for all. But our sinful nature is always with us. As believers, this old man is always going to be with us until either we see the Lord uh, in glory or he returns to this world. It's not eradicated, friends. But then the, the other thing we need to do is put on the new man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true uh, holiness. Uh, the new man, the new nature which God implanted in us at conversion, 
higher, a better, a better nature. You could think of it as a new disposition that God has planted in us, a new principle in conversion, a disposition which now is for God, for righteousness, for holiness, and so very different from the old man. So put on this new nature, put on this new disposition, this new habits in your life. This is what's a sanctification, friends, putting off and putting on. So I put off impatience in the home, and I put on patience and long-suffering. I put off unkindness, I stall it before, before it happens, and I put on kindness. I put away anger, and I put on gentleness. I put off self-absorption, it may be, and I put on an outgoing concern for other people, an interest uh, in others. I put off lies, and I uh, put on honesty. I put off and check a hurtful word before it comes out of my mouth. No, I put it off. Instead, I'm going to put on kindly words. I put off unclean thoughts. Oh, harassed by unclean thoughts. Oh, when they come, no, I'm not going to give way to that. That's the old man. That belongs to the past. I put it off. I put on clean thoughts. I keep my mind holy for the Lord. I remember I'm a new man. Friends, uh, we need to do this, not just on our own. We need to make an effort through prayer, through dependence on the Spirit of God. He's there to help us in this battle with sanctification. See it as a battle. See it as a daily battle, friends. But through the help of the Spirit, uh, we are able uh, to do these things. We read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, mortify the deeds of the body. Kill the deeds of the body. John Owen, a great Puritan, said, be killing sin. If we're not killing sin, sin. If you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. And he was right. Sin is ever active uh, to uh, rob us and to hurt us. It won't take away our salvation, but we will severely uh, undermine us. So friends, this is our duty as believers. And I think it's very helpful for us to understand this, that there are these two natures battling within us, the, the old man and the new man, if we are believers. There is, in fact, a very well-known Reformed pastor and preacher in the U.S. Thousands are listening to him uh, every week, even. Uh, but he, he has a different view regarding this. He says, well, there, we only have, believers only have one nature, not two. And he says, well, the, when you, be, you were converted, the unregenerate self was killed at conversion. It's dead, he says. It's gone, he says. No more old man, no more new man. The new has replaced the old. Well, that's not what the reformers taught. That's not what the Puritans taught. And that's not our understanding of Scripture. Our friends, we, we think he's wrong in this, in this matter. Because it's so helpful as well for us to understand when those old sins come and stir within us once again and try and annoy us, then we realize, oh, that old man is still there. I must put him off. But if you, if you are under the impression you only have one new nature, then you'll find it quite depressing. Why am I thinking like this? Why is these things happening? Why am I tempted in such a way? Yeah, I should be free from these things. 
But realizing there's that inner battle going on, I think it really is a help to us. So friends, this is what the Lord uh, wants us to do. This is what Christ is so concerned for his people that we engage in this battle of sanctification. Will I close? Am I Christ's? Have I learned Christ? Then the new man must be dominant in my life. Maybe battle will be hard at the beginning when you first start fighting against it, resisting it, but it does become easier. That old man gradually will become weaker. The more you fight, the weaker he becomes. But the, the opposite also is true. So play your part, friends. Pray and depend on the Holy Spirit for help and uh, cooperate uh, with him. And may the Lord help us, uh, each one, to advance uh, in sanctification. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 448. We praise and bless thee, gracious Lord, 448.